Welcome, everybody. It's another episode of No Driving Gloves. Let's just go ahead and jump right on into this one. Um, why doesn't everybody uh, do their quick summary of the week? Do we do anything exciting? And then all the listeners can find out what hosts they have this week. Who's going to go first? Okay, well, we've obviously got t- two people who have identified themselves. I was just going to say, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to jump right in and say... Uh, I want to say kind of a hectic week for me. I actually went out and did car stuff. I uh, went to the World of Wheels. Um, new group had a display there touting our new products and that. Uh, they might actually come on as a sponsor, or my company is going to come on as a sponsor, so we'll talk more about them. If you don't want to hear those sponsor ads, remember to go ahead and check out our Patreon page. But we had a couple of decent cars. We had a helicopter. Um, just to let everybody know, the fire marshal's not a very appreciative of starting your helicopter inside a building. Um, they seem to have frowned upon that. I don't get why, but not that we Is flew that... it, but we did turn. You know, we did have it on with the rotors spinning. And That's the... when the rotors were spinning. I was going to ask how you got away with that. Was that just a we're going to do this and ask for forgiveness? No, we had already been told not to at that point. Oh, that had to be, like, I could see everybody in that building having a meltdown because of that. It made for an epic video. Epic video. Now, we started it at the, when we first put it in the booth to make sure it didn't hit the Rolls Royce or the Lamborghini doors or anything. And then we uh, turned it on. I wasn't there the next morning, and the fire marshal was like three booths away and kind of informed us we couldn't run it. And then we shot that video after every car in the booth took home an award. And we wanted just to do that recap video before we tore down. So it was kind of like the, the patrons at the Barber Museum that want to sit on a motorcycle. And they realize, eh, you know, once we're done touring the place, we can sit on a motorcycle. And uh, how do we say that? Um, get thrown out. So what get, were they going to do get, at the end of the show? Throw us out? Get booted for life? Get, I mean, did you want to get booted for life? Was that the plan, or was was it just... We wouldn't get booted for life. <laughs> it's all in who you know. That's awesome. That's yeah. so awesome. But it had some pretty cool cars. Kind of interesting to watch people's reactions to, you know, say the, the um, Cullen and then the, the new SVJ Lamborghini or the Mercedes GTR Pro. Um, those were probably the biggest hits of the booth, and very distinct people liked each one. I mean, the Lamborghini, you could tell, was just impressive. Um, people in the know really knew about that GTR Pro, and uh, the Rolls was just kind of awesome because of the way it's been modified, and Nobody or hardly anybody has, you know, sees a Cullen. I mean, they're they're just not not that that um, populous here in Alabama. Well, they're they're vampires and they don't really get out in the sun. So only select people will understand that reference. Wait, were you talking about me? What? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I said your skin sparkles like diamonds, and you're, we're going to change your last name to Cullen. Well, I mean. Can't help that I have great skin. Well, it's it's a twilight thing. Mm. Oh. Yeah. 
How how bad is it that I know that? Clearly, I've been clearly I've been living under a rock. This is Sean's last episode with us for the (laughs) for the foreseeable future. Thanks, thanks for trying out for the show, but uh, we won't be needing you. It'll be it'll be fine. They drove Volvos, man. They're 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 okay. They're fine. So, other than watching Twilight and Buffy the Vampire Slayer over the weekend, uh, don't you dare (laughs) disparage Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's a great show. Disparage Twilight all you want. I don't care, but don't leave Buffy out of this. I mean, come on, Buffy's kind of cute. Gotta give her that. I'm a kind of uh, SMG fan, so. Um, Are we going to me next? We're going to whoever talks next and doesn't. All right, cool. You you already talked about Twilight. You're done. No, no, I'm. I'm still in Twilight over the weekend. Oh, 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 was it that show where I'm? don't like because they don't eat people uh what's that oh the hunger games i still think people should be eaten <laughs> hunger games. i've never i've never seen those so now we're even the only thing i know about the hunger games is the may the odds be ever in your favor meme that's all i that's all i've got out of that um yeah so if we're going with what did we do new and different and vehicular um I did something weird. I signed up and actually drove Uber for a couple of days just to try it out. Um, Derek's shaking his head. I don't know if he's shaking his head because I said I tried out Uber. Or Yes, yes. I'm shaking okay. my head because was, you signed up and tried to do Uber. I, okay. It was actually cool, man. I It was actually a lot of fun. And I'm Ubering in my Alfa Romeo. And there's something really cool about showing up to pick someone up for an Uber ride with that car. Like no one expects it. And now wait, what, what Alfa Romeo do you have? The four C. Julia. Yeah. Oh, I've a, okay. I've got a four C. I put them in the in the frunk. <laughs> I actually I pry the frunk open and I throw them in there. Um, I've got a Julia. It's and it's cool because I mean people get in. I actually had. Uh, I picked a lady and her son up and her son hops in the front seat and halfway home. She's like, would you be willing to take him to prom in this, him and his date to prom in this? And I was like, sure. Why, why not? I mean, pe- people, are, everybody that I picked up has been very, very cool. And I don't know if that just speaks to Birmingham or what, but it's, it's actually been kind of neat. And you can flip the app on wherever you want, whenever you want. Take a couple rides, make a couple bucks. It's it's kind of a cool thing. I've actually uh, so this uh, partial joke, partial seriousness. I've actually been thinking about doing that, but using the four ninety Chevy and seeing <laughs> people's reaction. Yeah, when I roll up in a nineteen nineteen four ninety touring car. You'd have to you'd have to contact Uber and get special permission to do it, but. The, the social media possibilities for that are so broad that I bet if you got a hold of their marketing department, you could actually hook that up. And from what I've seen, I mean, my Julia is really nothing special. I mean, it's a Julia TI Sport. It's black. It's got red leather interior. It's one of however many thousands that they made in that combo. There's nothing special about it other than it's an Alfa Romeo. And most folks... If they're non-car people, can't even pronounce Alfa Romeo, much less have they paid attention to one. And at, like 
I'd say 80% of the people that have gotten in it have been like, this is awesome. <laughs> and it really dug it. And it's, that's made it kind of fun. It's just people turning people onto the cars made it kind of fun. I would love to see you do it with some of your brass era stuff, man. I think that would be, that would make for cool video. That's worth actually trying to put together. Yeah, that's what I was thinking is it'd be tough to do it, but if you call them, it's fine because uh, it can't be more than what? Eight years old for your car? And it's, yeah, something and like it's that. it's got to pass some sort of safety inspection. Because I registered for Uber last year when I immediately, right after I left Barber's going, ah, I might do some of this. And, of course, I would have been picking them up with the SHO. So after, yeah. after having lunch with you yesterday, um, I kind of went back into my Uber account, updated everything. I just would have to take the uh, – the brand new Fusion, the two-month-old car, over and have it go through its $25 inspection. There's literally nothing. I mean, they, they do the tires hold air? Do they have four thirty seconds of tread? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's the check that they do is kind of like a tech inspection at an autocross. It, 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 yeah, it's kind of a joke, and it's kind of a $25 money grab. And what annoyed me is when I went and did mine... I had registered for Uber and Lyft, and of course they had to charge me twice. Exact same inspection form. Right, so that's they had to charge me twice. That's and, silly. That's totally silly. But I did notice that the uh, shop that I went to last year is no longer on their inspection list. So maybe something happened. I I, just, I can't help but think that if you if you have a four door car that meets their criteria. And you have a little bit of extra time, wherever that time may be, because you can literally turn this thing on 24-7. There are, there are no set schedules. It's, if you're out and about and you have an hour and you want to turn the app on and see if you can make 20 or 30 bucks, do it. Um, I mean, out and about for an hour, I'd, be, I'd get one, probably one, one Uber ride in, in in the 490. So, you know. Well, you're, you're, you're special. You're very special when it comes to that. I mean, what's the top speed of that car? Uh, flat out. Well, flat out. <laughs> literally, yeah. I mean, high gear, third gear with my foot all the way to the floor was 45. But downhill, I'm. I've got no, no, no. That was on flatland. Okay. Actually, here I've got. We don't do video uh, um, podcasting yet, but I guess that'd be something different than podcasting. But for the guys that are, you know, we're watching each other. This is actually now a modified VW distributor that will be going in the car. So oh, it's so going to have a little bit miles an hour, a little bit better timing. I'm getting the clutch refaced. Um, we're going to tweak the carburetor a little bit, and uh, we'll see how uh, how fast she can go. Will it hold together at 47 miles an hour? Oh yeah, I got you're, this. You're not losing. You're not losing the steering box at that point. You're not. The springs aren't falling off the front end. Might wobble a little, but it's all good. Just hold on to the tire. The wood spoke wheels are going to hold together at that point. Are they wood spoke wheels? Am I getting that right? Or are they? Oh yeah, it's they're wood. They're wood wheels. Yep. Morgan. Morgan is proud. Morgan loves you. Even though Morgan went, even though Morgan went away from their their wood frame. I, I that that's a whole other topic for a whole other show, but. Morgan going away from the ash frame, man. I don't know about that. 
Well, actually, ash trees are in danger, and there's going to be a shortage, if not a whole moratorium on you can't use ash for anything. So, Is that why they went away from it? No. Or did they well, go away from it just because they had I, to do I it? I think they went away from it because it's it's a car, and this is the 21st century. But, you know, but here's take, take them a while to get away from a three-wheeled vehicle, too, remember. So. Yeah, but they brought it back, too. Um, but here's the thing about the emerald, uh, or the, the emerald, well, the emerald ash borer, which is part of the problem with ash trees. Um, they, you have to remember, the emerald ash borer doesn't eat the heartwood. It Sorry. only eats it only eats the oh crap, what is the outer layer just under the bark? I've, I've lost the term. Let's uh, call it the outer layer just under the bark. The, yeah, the living, you know, the actual living right. you know, part fibers of the tree is what right. it eats. So you wind up with the little you know, bore lines on but all of the heartwood inside is I've actually got chunks of ash. I'm going to be building a, a cycle car out of with a, a wood frame. And I mean, it, it had, you know, the, the bore marks on it, but you, you, you know, cut those, you cut it down to the size you need and those are gone. The heartwood of the ash is still just as strong as it was, you know, before. I think we have to segue into tonight's main topic off of this conversation because I can't think of anything that would fit tonight's topic better than the conversation we just had. Very true. We're nerding out on, on wood framed automobiles and, you know, I mean, it is, you're right. It's perfect. I'm sitting here thinking, um, yeah, we're, we're talking about wood framed automobiles and I'm sure the, um, um, parent coalition out there is going, am I going to put my kid in a car with a wood frame? Yes. yes, I highly recommend it. Absolutely. I'm I'm all about a Morgan, man. I would take a Morgan Aero 8 so fast. I love those cars. I think they're gorgeous. Well, an Aero 8, now we just jumped completely away from the wood frame. The Aero 8 is an aluminum-framed car. Oh, nice job, Sean. Not the, uh, no, not the, not the race car. Not the race car, the, the street car. No, the Aero 8 is aluminum framed the traditional morgan is ash frame but the arrow eight's on an aluminum frame the arrow eight streetcar with the with the teardrop roof yeah the one richard hammond bought yeah it's the yeah. teardrop wood roof and the uh flat headlamps into the inside of the fenders yeah that, that's an aluminum car aluminum body, aluminum frame. all right i'm looking that up yeah <laughs> uh, by the way john yeah it's a british built car what did i say it's aluminium. Oh, Thank I'm you. sorry. Uh, yeah. you, you left a letter out. I, I use my Yankee accent for those. I know. Well, we can settle this. Just go and buy a pre-1929 Franklin, and you will have a wood-framed automobile. And it will be fantastic. I don't know whether be, I... It'll also be air-cooled. I know, just another bonus. You don't have to worry about antifreeze. Oh, that kills me. John's right. <laughs> All right, fine. I won't buy my Aero 8. I'll buy a classic Morgan. 4-4. Four, 4-8. Four, four, and that's kind of what the topic is. Is We sit here as car people. 
and we go, man, this is cool, or we want this, and why did General Motors stop making it? Why don't they build me what I want? And there's just so many things that are car guy cool and what I say general public bad. Uh, we're talking the, the wood frame. That's something we want because of the romanticism, right, guys? And it's, why do we want a wood frame Morgan? Why are we craving one of these in I don't. 2020? I don't. Okay. I, there are so many things that I would buy before a Morgan, but the reason why I think they're cool is there was a guy that used to autocross in the region that I was in up in Virginia in the Tidewater area, the Tidewater SCCA region. And I, his name, I think, was John Sheely, and he was a Morgan, Morgan rep or seller or importer. or I don't really know what John did with Morgan, but he had something to do with him. And he had like a fleet of them, and the one that he set up to autocross was propane powered, and it had a, a Buick V8, the itty bitty little Buick V8 propane powered, and it was a rocket ship through the cones. And that car was the reason why I actually paid attention to those cars. Now, obviously, I didn't pay attention enough because I didn't realize the Aero 8 was aluminum and not ash. So I lose cool points there, but I, there's something cool about the Morgan, man. And the three-wheeler is even cooler. If you, if you ask me, I think the three-wheeler's epic. I don't fit in them, but that's the one I'd probably buy if I actually had the ability to buy one. I guess, the, you know, the three-wheeler's another one of those. It's cool. Why do we like these three-wheel cars? Is it the odd? Is it the performance? Uh, I mean, when I'm talking, you're talking about a new introduction Morgan three wheeler. Uh, mm -hmm. The old one, I mean, Leno says it's the best. Um, it's um, now I'm forgetting what I want to say. It's fun to drive a, a a slow car fast, but you know, not a fast car slow, because he's you know he says you're going around. The, one of the stories he's famous for telling is he's out in his Morgan and he's clicking and clattering and the motor's making noise and you know spitting a little bit of oil and he goes tearing around a corner and goes flying by a cop and he goes oh no I'm in trouble. And then he realizes he's only going 35 miles an hour. And, exactly. And that's car guy cool. I think we, we have fun doing that. It's, it's enjoyable. It's cornering. It's open air. It's smell of burning oil. Uh, you know, you get to see the t fenders. It's one reason in. Um, fenders. Yeah. My, well, my, my caterer, I had the wings on it. But they sell a version that has this, what they call cycle fenders. So when you're going down the road, you can watch the tires go up and down. The fenders and the top front tires go up and down mm. and turn. Take the fenders turn. off. Well, then you get, you know, dirt and stuff. And you know me. Yeah, exactly. I'm a, I'm a clean guy. Yeah, speedsters. I don't want to get hit in the face with a rock. Um, oh, that feels really good. Actually, a chunk of rubber. Yeah, 20 going plus around, years, 20 plus going years around, of motocross. To yeah, going around okay. Michigan International Speedway in a Model A Speedster at 70 mile an hour and a chunk of rubber hits you in the face. That is that is living. Where do you think I ranked that on the scale of one to nope? Um, one. I'm firmly in the nope category on that. That's all you, man. That's <laughs> all you. I got hit in the face with so many rocks racing motocross. I'm good. 
<laughs> Perfect. And that's my problem. That's probably why I watched Twilight. Because they had hit in the face with a lot of rocks. And but. well, and that's the other reason we don't do video podcasts because no one wants to see that. Oh, I'm gorgeous. Mm, yeah. I'm stunning. You know it. <laughs> it's, it's completely quiet after that comment. Dead silence. Yeah. I didn't think it deserved a response. Mm. So so wood frames, okay. We we I mean wood frames were just awesome because uh, and it is. I, I think, John, you touched on it. It's the uniqueness. I mean, uh, you know, who else other than car guys want to get out there and, you know, oh, the frame's sagging a little today. Let me turn the turnbuckles so it pulls the wood back to where it's supposed to be. <laughs> the car's out of alignment. Let me let me tweak the wood. Well, I'm going to say I'm, oh. I'm, I'm different in that. I, I like the idea of a wood frame car. I like the idea of a Morgan. I like the idea of the Model A or whatever, you know, that ha- has this wood frame. What Model A are you talking about? None of the Model A's had wood frame. Or don't they have like a, I thought, well, maybe I need to go back to a T that they have the, the wood in there. And that people are amazed well, that, that you have. T's didn't. Huh? Model T's didn't. Yeah, they did. The very first Model A, the 1903, had some wood sections, if I recall correctly, had some wood sections in it. The Model T was the breakaway because that was the vanadium steel frame, full vanadium steel. You're, you're talking the, the, the actual chassis frame. I'm talking just wood utilized in the car, the wood body. Oh, you're talking about the body frame, yeah. the body structure, not the frame of the automobile. Yeah, that's what the Morgan uses, too, is it's a body structure. Does have a ladder, a metal ladder frame under it. Um, Not all Morgans. Some Morgans had wood frames. Yeah, the the er, again the earliest, but even by the fifties, mm-hmm. they were a mm-hmm. steel frame with. Uh, oh, I'm talking literally wood framed chassis automobiles. Well, I'm not talking about wood structured bodies. Those are all over the place. Well, either way, people, when you start talking about that, people get amazed. You know, they they don't comprehend or think of wood as a integral structural component of an automobile you know most people i think when they think of wood in a vehicle is some sort of vinyl coating on their um, buick roadmaster wagon it's the plastic wood yes the plastic wood or the or the vinyl trim not the traditional woody speaking of station wagons they're pretty cool oh they're so cool and they and they started out as wood vehicles so there's your tie right there Old wood depot hacks becoming station wagons, and station wagons are cool. It it all goes back to wood. That's what I'm saying. Well, everything ends up going back to wood, but this is family friendly. But, but I'm not going to laugh at that. That's another. Uh, to, you know, you said cool there, Derek, and station wagons. Anytime a station wagon comes to market or is pictured or a shooting break or car guys go nuts we gotta have the ctsv six speed we've got to have the buick the buick roadmaster wagon from say i'm talking the egg era chevrolet caprices uh you know the vista cruiser from the early 70s station wagons for some reason are always car guy cool um why I don't know. There, uh, I would say always car guy cool, except maybe the mid '80s when oh, they, those were mom's mom's cars and the minivan 
took their place at some point that I can I can refute the mid eighties. I can refute the mid eighties not being cool. Same. If you if you'll if you'll allow me to. Like, keep keep on your train of thought, but I had I have a story. Story. Okay. Story. My father in the mid eighties had a high output and this this car by all standards of what makes a car decent today, this car really wasn't it wouldn't be cool today, but he had a high output five speed manual Trans Am in nineteen eighty four. Sean Yoder was fourteen years old in nineteen eighty four and my father had what I thought for the time was a very cool car, amazing stereo. The five liter in that car was beyond anemic. It was terribly slow. But as a 14-year-old, it was like it's my dad's driving around in kit. It looked like the Knight Rider car, and it had the it had the cool uh, offset scoop on the hood, which honestly leaked water back down into the engine. And I think they replaced the motor in that car twice because water would leak down the hood scoop. Then getting okay, here here's the thing. He had the Trans Am, and then one day. I get home from school. I'm out in the garage. I'm working on my motorcycle before I go out and go for a ride. And my father pulls up in a black with gold pinstripe and gold wheel Volvo wagon. I don't remember if it was a seven something. I don't remember if that was the 800 series back then or not. It was a, it was a limited edition turbo Volvo wagon. I think that'd be a 700 series Volvo, but I'm not, I'm not up to Volvo for all our Volvo listeners. All I know is my father pulls in the driveway in this car. I didn't realize it was my father until he got out of the car. And I looked at him like, what are you doing? Like, like where, where's your car? And he walks up and he's like, what do you think? And I was like, it's a box. It's, it's a, it's a black and gold box. It's not even a pretty box. And he's like, well, that's my new car. And I was, I just thought my father had lost his ever loving mind at, at, as 14, almost 15 year old me. And then he was like, get in. And I got in it and I sat down and it had these, whatever they were periods. I don't know whether they were Caros or whether they were Volvo seats or whatever, but they had some nice bolsters and it was that 80 stuff where it had the, the headrest that had the mesh in the middle of it. And I know that y'all have to know what I'm talking. It's, it, it's just, it, they were comfortable. They were incredibly comfortable. Volvo has always had amazing ergonomics. I didn't know that then. I know that now, but I sat in this thing and I was like, well, that's a really nice seat inside this horrible black and gold box. And then we pulled out of the driveway. He pulled out of our neighborhood. He got on the first main road and he inserted foot. And it was probably three times faster than the Trans Am ever thought about being in a straight line. And then when we got to a curb the first time, it wasn't bad. And I just looked at my father and went, what in the world's going on? I was like, my mind was exploding. And I was literally becoming a wagon fan. While my father is driving around on this like little back road in in the neighborhood in Chesapeake, Virginia, we used to live in, and ever since then, I have thought sport wagons were the absolute deal. 
why I don't own one right now, I don't know because they are my idea of the perfect car. And then eventually I know we're going to talk about vans. So that's my idea of the perfect vehicle, but that's later on in the conversation. But that's my, that's my wagon story. That's how I came to be like, yeah, wagons are awesome. And then Volvo had the audacity to build their wagons into the most epic British touring cars that ever hit a racetrack in the UK. And that just hammered at home. I was like, Volvos are cool. Volvo racing is amazing. Station wagons are epic. Cheers to them. Yeah. I was doing some Googling while you were telling your story and I would bet he came home with the 700 series wagon. Those were introduced early 84s and 85s. Because it wasn't a 240. You'd know a 240, right? No, it definitely wasn't a 240. Yeah, so it was a 700 series. And there's a famous story about the the Volvo wagon with uh, Paul Newman and possibly David Letterman. Letterman has one. Well, they have ones that have had slight modification where the Volvo powertrains pulled out and they have small block Chevys in them. And Newman was supposedly famous for driving around New England in his car or his Volvo wagon sleeper and drag racing and beating the snot out of anybody he went up against. Uh, I heard that Newman may have actually bought that car for Letterman. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I've I've heard that. Yeah, I think they each have one. And I know uh, Adam Carolla's always he has talked about wanting to own it. I can't remember who owns Newman's now. Letterman might actually own it, but um, it's, uh, you know, just one of those cool things. And they're, again, Car Guy Cool is a station wagon sleeper. Uh, and I alluded to kind of the other. And I know, I think Sean and I kind of have the same feeling on this and where this topic came from. I had said the Cadillac um, um, CTSV wagon with the six-speed. And I got the show topic listening to another podcast when a guy mentioned his father had a car dealership in the 60s called Nothing But Sticks. And that's all they sold were manual transmission cars. If you had a Nothing But Sticks dealership in 2020, you'd be broke. You wouldn't have a friend, and you'd be broke. The only people you would see are people, I wouldn't even say like Sean and I, but you would have car people showing up just so that they could drive a stick. Um, I'm not a big fan of the stick anymore, the way transmissions have went. I mean, Dre, great. And you're off the show. (laughs) Yep. Uh, drag racing, you want an automatic, consistent, everything. Um, the the newest um, dual-clutch transmissions, you know, why do you need a, you know, I don't understand the manual transmission and the third pedal thing anymore. Um, obviously, Derek disagrees. What do you guys think? Are stick, cool, stick cars still cool, or is that actually a car guy thing that's going away? Or is that a car guy thing grasping at, we don't want change? Uh, I think, I mean, for, for me, I don't know that it's it's about, I don't think it's about a cool factor for me. I don't think it's about not wanting to let go of an older technology. Um, 
or anything of that fact. For me, it's more about, and, and probably one of the reasons I enjoy driving early cars a lot, is to me it's actually part of the experience of driving and running a machine. Um, you know, the the especially in the early cars, the talent to... Uh, double clutch them properly and get the revs right to shift smooth and not grind gears and uh, you know all that. That to me, it's it's part of the the experience of of driving. I think that's where my opinion lies on it, and that's why I love stick shifts. Um, I mean, even you know when they got to synchronized transmissions, that goes away, but you know, you still, it's still about actually manually working the machine and making it do what it needs to do to operate. I don't know. That's just, that's probably just because of the mechanical um, processing of my brain, I guess. You want me to jump in? Sure. John fell asleep. I totally get where you're coming from, Derek. I absolutely totally get where you're coming from. Having grown up racing and, you know, grown up through the seventies and eighties and into the nineties, um, I had to become at least better than average at, at heel toe, you know, actually rev matching properly and, and using the heel toe technique to your advantage on a racetrack. I, I was better than average at that. It is, it is, fun to do and in those older era cars it's a necessity especially when you go back to the 60s and dog boxes and straight cut gears and all that good stuff and that just the older transmissions obviously demand it because you literally like you said if you're not double clutching you're absolutely not putting the car into gear um but as technology has improved and one thing that I think my involvement with simulation and my involvement with sports car racing through the years, I started to use sequential shifters, whether it be in a simulator or the earliest version of like X-Track and, and a couple other boxes that were out there and some of the cars that I was fortunate enough to drive. And it, changed my perception of the shifting aspect being something that enhanced my driving experience because the sequential box to me was a tool that allowed me to remove focus from moving up and down the gearbox and put that focus 500 meters further down the track and actually allowed my brain to get out in front of the car even more and slow time down in a way that allowed me to actually shave lap, you know, shave time off the lap. And for me, that's why I'm not a, it has to be a manual or it's no fun to drive. I still enjoy driving manuals. Unfortunately, I've gotten older. I've sustained some injuries that, like literally I got ran over in the pits in Daytona about a decade ago by a Porsche. I had a Porsche front splitter roll my right ankle up underneath the front of the car, broke my ankle in three places, stretched the perennial nerve. 
Um, I have nerve damage from my knee to my toes. I have about 20% feeling left between my knee to my toes and my right leg. And the break causes it to where I literally don't have the range of motion in my ankle to heel toe properly anymore. I can still do it, but nowhere near on the level that I used to be able to. Um, that's annoying to me, but I've used the sequentials and I've used the paddles and I've, you know, the, the actual stick sequential transmissions for so long. And I see them as a tool to go faster. So it doesn't bother me as much. Does that make sense at all? Or it's just a different perspective, I guess. Well, yeah. And I think it's a different perspective because you're from, you know, you're coming from the racing side. Right. Whereas I, you know, for me, it's more about the, the road driving and touring experience and um you know all of that so it's a visceral thing and i i totally understand where you're coming from too i get it i mean but i have this conversation with people who as soon as i say i don't really care if we save the manuals in modern cars now save them please save the muncies save the rock crushers save you know save the the top loader four speed save and, and then going back to your era cars obviously save those Keep them running. But when I hop into a 10-year-old or newer Porsche, give me a PDK, man. It's a weapon on a racetrack. PDK is is thinking further ahead than our brains can. PDK is epic in every way, shape, or form. It's just – it is a tool to go faster. All I want to do is go faster. <laughs> that's That's where I'm coming from. And you said the magic words there, and I use this comparison a lot. Porsche PDK and the way these double clutch systems work is technically, I mean, I guess as simply as you want to put, there's virtually two transmissions. When you pull the lever the, the and select third gear, the trans, the other transmissions presetting itself to fourth. So when you pull the paddle, you have that instantaneous shift and you're really not shifting the transmission you're using. You're changing transmissions. And, it's it's an amazing technology, and we figured out how to work it with and make it very efficient and flawless with computers. But I've mentioned on the show before, and I've looked looked at in the fifties, the exact same transmission was extremely extremely popular with racers. Formula One road racing, the exact same principle with the Armstrong Sidleys and the um, EVA pre-selectors. They, uh, you know, they go back, you know, I can go back to at least the chords, the mm-hmm. 810, 812 mm-hmm. chords, and probably prior to that. And in that, those systems, you, when you're driving, you move your lever, whether it be on the column or whether it be a little stick or even, even a lever on the floor, like a typical manual transmission, and you select, say you're driving down the road and you select third. Well, the car doesn't go into third until you actuate, quote, the clutch pedal, which is actually, at that point, a gear change pedal. It's a clutch pedal when you're taking off in first gear. After that, it becomes a gear change pedal, so that when you're in that third gear and you want third, you slam that pedal down and bring it right back up, and the car grabs third. And then you make the decision... For the next shift, are you going to need to downshift or upshift, and you move that lever to second or fourth? And then when you get to that point on the track, you actuate that pedal, and the car grabs the gear. So there's no fumbling with the clutch. There's no double clutching. These were 
very popular transmissions before we had synchronized gearboxes. So we sit here today and people, oh, we want to have the manual. We want to have the manual. Well, people didn't want them. Even racers at, at this romantic period of time of sports cars didn't want a manual. Completely different reasons. The manual wasn't as efficient. This gearbox is more reliable. Then we sat through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and had to have manuals, and that's the way it was. And then all of a sudden we started introducing, as a certain famous TV presenter says, the flappy paddles. And the flappy paddles came out, and what it what they did is perfected the transmissions that we were using in the 50s. And we didn't, again, have to worry about missing shifts, grabbing the wrong gear, slipping the clutch too bad. And I think Porsche, on the on the road side of thing, almost has the ultimate transmission and the ultimate design of this. And, of course, now you can't buy a manual transmission, Lamborghini, Ferrari, any of those, McLarens. None of that stuff is even available with a stick because the flappy paddles are so reliable, so quick, and take away a lot of the human error that can be introduced and cause damage to a car. The crazy yeah, thing about I got those flappy paddles. <laughs> flappy paddles right here. About the craziest thing about the PDK though, is unless you're a geeky race fan and and unless you're a geeky Porsche race fan, a lot of people don't realize the PDK is not new technology. PDK has been around since the mid eighties. Derek Bell won a sports car world championship in 1986 in a 962 C that had a drum roll, please PDK transmission in it. It wasn't the same configuration as what we have in the 2020 cars, but it is the direct descendant predecessor to current PDK technology. And that's how far back we can go back even further than that with sequential boxes. But from a race standpoint, like you said, John, from a race standpoint, we just want to go faster, man. Like if if you are a driver and you're on a track and you're trying to win, I don't care whether you're autocrossing, running around a dirt oval, uh, running down the Mulsanne at 200 plus mile an hour. I don't care who you are. You just want a tool to go faster. And that's what sequential and paddle shifted transmissions are. And I will say this. The ZF box that you get in most, it's it's propagated itself through Chrysler. It's in my Alpha. I had a Scat Pack uh, Challenger before I had the Alpha Romeo. Both of them had the same ZF 8-speed lockup torque converter paddle shifted transmission. It is as good as you're ever going to make a lockup torque converter transmission. And it's paddle shifted. It shifts right now. Like It's telepathic when you put it in race mode. Um, and it did the same thing in the Challenger as it does in my in my uh, in my Alpha and ZFs are in Corvettes. They're they're everywhere. If you have the Yankee language tonight, it's a ZF. Okay, my wife's not home. I'm I'm not in British mode. I apologize. Well, it's German. Z Z's also British. Well, it is, but ZF the ZF is German, but Z is British. Too. The annoying part to me about the paddle shifts, and I don't understand, but this is where I think 
you could actually say the manual might be better. I have, as I've stated a couple of times on the show now, I'm driving a 2019 Ford Fusion SE with a 1.5 liter turbocharged motor. And getting 27 and a half miles a gallon very happily. The thing's got paddles in it. I don't know why. I don't understand why. There is no sportiness to this car whatsoever. Uh, but it's probably put there because the general it's public cool. thinks it's cool. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The general public thinks it's cool, but I asked the general public who owns cars with paddle shifters in them if they've ever used them. And I would imagine that 97% of them go, yeah, they're on the steering wheel, but I've never played with them. I, most people don't use them that have them. You know, my, my Edge had them. My Edge Sport had them. Kind of, kind of made sense. I used them once or twice, but didn't understand why. In the snow, I could see you using them. The SHO had them, and I might have used them once or twice just to see Maybe. If you'd ever let me autocross that car, I'd use the heck out of them. <laughs> so I, you know, but my challenger, my challenger had him when I had my challenger on racetracks or at the drags. Well, when I had it on a road course, I used the paddles because there are times when you you want it to downshift, when you want it to downshift to do things with moving weight around in the chassis. And getting the thing to, to do what you want it to do as far as turning in and all that good stuff. But when I took it to the drag strip, I just left it in drive and put it in race mode, man. I, I The modern era of flappy paddle stuff, it's better than we are. There's no reason to even think about in a straight line, like using launch control in a straight line and, and going through the eighth mile or quarter mile. Just leave it in drive, man. Let it do what so it does. Wait. So tonight's topic is like basically we're talking about the inverse of, of what tonight's topic is because we we're talking about what you know car guys think are cool versus you know what the general public doesn't. But now we're talking about the paddle shifter in cars that it's pointless in because the general public thinks it's cool in their car, and car guys are like, "Yeah, that's stupid." Unless you're me. <laughs> Unless you're me, and then I want I want the paddle shifters. But then there are weird things like uh, like my wife's car. If if we're gonna stick on the transmission, the transmission topic, my wife has a car with a CVT in it, and the CVT in and of itself, as a car person, I find CVTs fascinating. Um, I know that if you actually built a CVT properly, and you built it with performance in mind that it would be absolutely the most efficient transmission that you could ever have in a race car, just because you could always be at peak torque, like literally wherever you're at, it would always find peak torque for you. But my wife's car, they programmed in shift feel into a CVT transmission. And I, for the life of me, as as a car person, find it to be the most maddening thing that I've ever seen in a car. Like, why does it shift? And and Toyota, I'm just going to say Toyota because it is a Toyota. Toyota, in their infinite wisdom, says they programmed shift feel into their CVT 
because the general public doesn't understand when a card does when a car never shifts like they had more people bringing those cars back in saying my transmission's slipping because they never felt it shift into another gear mm-hmm. that's mind blowing to me as a car person but i i i guess i understand that do y'all understand it's, that i mean i, I... I guess I'm I'm kind of I'm trying to figure out what I want to say here because <laughs> I mean it's it's mind-blowing that people I guess don't understand that but I hate that. I hate CVT transmission. I hate getting in a car. I remember having rental cars that had C, you know the CVT and it just I actually the time I came down to the Barber Museum John with the Mustangs from when I was still at Henry Ford Museum, whatever I was driving, I don't. It was it was a Mopar. It was. Do you remember? I don't remember what I had. It was a Dodge something. Um, you might have had a. You were probably here before the Dart. I was going to say you might have had a Dart. Now it was the stupid crossover. Um, the, cal- the Journey. Caliber Journeys. I can't remember. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but it had a CBT, and it was just – I hated it because it never shifted, in, especially in mountainous regions. It's just annoying to me. It just <laughs> drives mountainous me. Ridge. Well, you know, anything that's not flatland. It right. was just – oh, my God. Just uh, – so it's not just the general public. It's, it annoys car people as well. At least this one. It, I'm actually annoyed by the fact that they took the time to program. It's nothing more than a bump. It's literally like a throttle cut. Oh, yeah. And, and, the, and the, it, like it's a throttle cut, and then it comes right back on. It's literally like it feels like it's trying to – very wimply throw you through the windscreen. <laughs> it's, it's just like, uh, uh, uh. it's like, why is it doing that? It drives me insane. Absolutely insane. But the little thing, it looks like a spaceship. It's cool to drive. It gets 9 million miles per gallon. It's, it's really efficient. It's, it's not a bad little car other than that. And here's another knock on CBTs from, uh, from a car person's perspective. You can literally tow nothing. It's a it's a crossover border. It's a crossover bordering on an SUV, albeit a tiny one. It's a CHR, and it is rated from the factory with a zero pound towing capacity, and it's all because it has a CVT transmission. Yeah, I remember that, we discovered that. That annoys me. To no end. That really, really upsets me. So if you're thinking about buying a vehicle to tow, let's say, let's say you want to tow an air mattress. You want to put an air mattress behind your car. You can't do it with a CVT equipped car. That's annoying. I just, I, I don't understand. I, I, I guess the reasoning is because the, it would cause too much friction or what? I, I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning is. I just know that I'm not happy about that thing. Where do we go from here, guys? 
Well, we've covered station wagons, wood frames, manual transmissions. Vans. As I say, we're pushing an hour, but... No, we don't need to talk about vans. vans. Derek, Derek can drop off. John and I are going to do another hour tonight. Fans are the best. Yeah, we started talking about wood earlier. William, not, not the, no, I'm not talking about the 70, 70s shagging wagons, shag carpet, shagging wagon, disco ball, dome light having. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking, I literally <laughs> just give me a Pacifica and I'm a very happy person. Uh, did I tell you my uh, stepsister purchased a Pacifica lately? Good for her. Weeks ago, black uh, touring plus whatever. It's top of the line. Really sweet van. According to another show that that we won't mention, I'm officially a car person now. I've owned an Alpha, so now I could trade that in on a van and I'll be fine. I'm a car person. Is that how that works? I don't believe the Alpha has anything to do with it. I think the acceptance of a van in your life really states that you're, <laughs> is that what it is? you're comfortable being a car person. I am. I'm, I totally am. You're, and I, You're confident enough in your car knowledge and your car fandom that it doesn't matter what you drive and how the public perceives you. I would track it, too. You would totally hey, see you know me in a van at Barber. Well, totally. You know what car car guys really like that the general public seems to hate? Throw it out there. Turn signals. <laughs> That's not in. Well, yeah, it is. That is true because we'll, we'll, we'll there's to, a lot of we'll there's a lot of car people in BMW. We'll, we'll, we'll go to that topic in a second here. We're gonna go back, <laughs> back to, vans. to vans. We're gonna go back to vans because Sean's not telling you a little background on him, and we've got this little factory down the road. Uh, that produces these American-made Japanese cars. And they kind of have an insane race team. And um, they, we sit here and we joke, car guys really don't like vans and car guys don't want vans. But when Honda put together their four or 500 horsepower Odyssey with a full cage and autocrossed it and tracked it, it made news everywhere. And car and guys... I, and I our guys were jealous of it. I actually got to, I, I was uh, their driving, driving instructor, their high-performance driving instructor and, and uh, sort of on-track consultant when they first started putting that program together. Uh, I was very fortunate to get to work with those guys. And it's a couple-generation old Odyssey that, that when they first went to it, we had an automatic version that was completely gutted. They cut the springs, didn't even put proper springs on it no interior basically um exhaust the ecu was sent out i can't remember where it was sent i think in the red van they actually sent the ecu back to japan and they retuned it and that was like a 300 horsepower i think it was a 3.5 v6 in those back then i think they're up to like 3.8 liter now that thing had an automatic transmission in it. The orange van that you were alluding to, John, custom sheet metal intake, giant Garrett turbo, uh, six-speed manual out of an Acura TL, gutted, full cage, proper race suspension, uh, 
about about I think about half the van was uh, flat floor for better aero. Um, NK built wheels for it. It had a carbon hatch. I think the roof might have been carbon. Carbon hood. 550 horsepower, I think, is what they could dial it up to, and they could have gone higher. I got to drive it at about 470, 480 horsepower trim on several occasions. The only problem with that van is it would literally launch transmissions. It would, they were going to like hardened and, and shot pinned uh, gear sets. I think it was third and fourth gear that they were having a lot of trouble with, but that they did one lap of America with it multiple times. And then the next generation, they put their, uh, the Honda LMP motor in it that they were running in the IMSA cars in the LMP two in IMSA. They put one of those motors in it and Simon Pagano drove that. That was a manual transmission car too. Pagano drove it at Pikes peak. Um, before they did that, they actually went out and I think they they either won or came in second in one lap of America with that white van. And now they've got another van that they run Honda Challenge in NASA all over the, the southeast. And there's something so satisfying about being in a minivan on a racetrack and blowing by a Porsche. And it just it's, it just things that should never happen that make you giggle like a five-year-old like we had the older vans out at talladega grand prix which is a little it's a a 1.6 mile or so track out in talladega not not near the speedway but it's out in talladega county and we had the, the automatic van and the orange manual transmission van out there and then the auto van we were out there on the same day as a supra club And Paul, the gentleman who was running the program, and myself were hopping in and out of the red van and doing some stuff with it. And we were like drop throttle oversteer drifting that red van around. It was an epic chassis. But we were running down pretty much every Supra that was there. And we would come around to the front stretch and the Supras would see us coming. And rather than allow us to catch and pass them on track, they would pull into the pits and let us go by and then wait a little bit and then come out. And then anytime either of us caught them, they would pull into the pits before they, before we passed them on track. And it was, it was so much fun. And I, yeah, I, I have a very huge love for minivans and I have a huge love for HMA too. Shout out to those folks. Cause it was fun working with them, man. Cool stuff. Now we- and- <laughs> or lack thereof. Yes, I think this this goes into another show topic that I have on uh, our our list of things that upset us when we drive, the annoying things other drivers have a tendency to do. But Derek's right. True car guys kind of like their turn signals <laughs> and use them. Especially when they're hand turn signals. When Derek's saying hand turn signals, remember he likes driving cars that don't necessarily have a lot of electricity and light bulbs on them. So he's, if you remember the rules of the road from your bicycle days, he's, you know, left arm out, down, right turn, left arm out, pointing to the left. 
he's not talking about hand signals uh, where we're counting with single digits to other people. You know what? Left arm out the window with your hand up and a and a certain finger up means, right? Yeah, that actually <laughs> with the, the right hand turn. It's following too close. If you if you have it up up and you and you actually have that certain finger up, you're just saying that the person behind you is following. Oh, that, I thought that just meant hang on one second, I'm turning right. No, I'm, it's not. You're not trying to tell the person behind you they're number one. At oh, all. Dang. But I yeah. am. I figure that's you signaling that you're aware I'm number one and you will move over to the left as soon no. as you can. No. My favorite turn signals are semaphores. I want something with semaphores on it. Bad. Mm. And yes. That's yes, me throwing out the, that's me throwing out the car guy geek. Give me a split window beetle, please. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll rock mm-hmm. that. I'd daily drive that. And be a happy man. Is that car car person geek enough to uh, have we gone over an hour? Oh, yeah, we're at like an yeah, we're right there at the hour. I don't edit it. He'll edit it down to an hour. I don't. We're gonna. I don't edit anymore. So I just throw it out there, and I think the we'll work down to the conclusion there. But I think the listeners are liking that. Our numbers are way up. So since I've stopped that. Um, maybe it's because I'm more reliable on getting shows out. Um, still trying that to work for that. <laughs> still trying to work for that Friday release date. Did miss it this week. Apologize to all the listeners. World of Wheels. Con- of course, I mean the other thing is you were you were always cutting out. You know all of Will and and Derek making fun of you. So everybody was just like, "Well, this sucks." I mean, we want to hear John get ripped on. I always left that. I I, I, I kind of enjoy it. I, I just cut out the portions where I pick on you guys. Yeah. I haven't been on the show enough to, to yet to know whether that's true or not. So. Oh, my God. Always with the comments. I, I don't, there. I don't, there. Okay, thank you. Have you even done a show with Will? Sean? I haven't. No. That's what I thought. No, it seems like I, I don't even know whether Will exists. It could have, has, have, have any of us actually done a show with Will? That's my question. It could just be one of y'all doing an accent because, I mean, none of the shows are videoed either, so no one really knows. Exactly. That, that is a rewards uh, level on our Patreon. You know whether Will is real or not if you join the Patreon. It's not once it, you know, we achieve a certain level uh, of funding on Patreon, we'll go to a video feed, and we might just only release the video feed on Patreon, so you can pay to see what goes on behind the scenes. John's and then arms pay per view. We're going pay per view. Yeah, I thought this was family friendly. It is. This is this is like um, WrestleMania. Can I say that? No, so what, okay. This is okay. like WrestleManiacs. At what level do we get okay. to build the animatronics? I think you have to say Wrestle. WrestleMania? The XFL? I guess I'm going to say it's car related because I saw it at the gas station. They've got these new macho Slim Jims, or the Savage Slim Jims, which are like three times the How? diameter of a normal Slim Jim. And it's got Racho. You know, Randy Macho Man Savage on the publicity. 
Oh, yeah. He, he used to do that, but hasn't um, he, he been... Um, didn't he pass away a few years ago? <laughs> he, he has been buried, actually, yes. Well, I mean, that's what they're bringing it back. It's a tribute, you know. And then they're priced at the, on the top $3. And then when the little price tags are across the bottom when you're choosing your flavor, they're three ninety nine. So I'm not sure what I'm supposed to pay for them. So just to let you know, local Circle K won't be buying Try. them until you get their pricing. Either give somebody a Sharpie and let them put a 99 up by the three or take the 99 off at the bottom. Can we film you trying to buy one for three bucks and walk out of the store? Please. John has, that, John has grown that, up and matured. Can that be the first live video? And is, not, is not allowed to <laughs> do some of the things he has done in the past. Because out of the potential embarrassing situation he causes to other members of his party. How difficult is it for you to resist the urge to throw $3 exactly on the counter at the Circle K and walk out the door with that? That would be stealing because it would actually cost $3.30 with tax. And see, that's what we deal with, folks. That's the John we deal with. Now, uh, yes, it, 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 it the question has to get crazy with this. Well, as Zara likes to refer to me, um, I'm a tad bit pedantic. And I have figured out how to put that on a license plate. So that will probably be my next um, personalized plate. Unless somebody steals it from me. Like somebody stole my Make make It So. I had Make It So on my Mazda Tribute uh, about 10 years ago. And when I went to get it for my new car, uh, it wasn't available. Somebody stole my basically my license plate. So I've got a stupid one in place. Sorry about that. Yeah, it kind of upsets me. You're going to be all right. You're going to pull through. And they won't let me have my podcast license plate back. I don't understand that either. So. What? Yeah, that's a whole backstory to that one. I I need to know why that's a bad thing. That I can't. Have- we, don't, we don't have to talk about it here, but I, yeah, that's that doesn't make any sense. Now, do car guys, do all car guys find personalized plates cool or the gen, the, what, like, where, where's that stand in the world of, Car guy versus general public. I think it depends on the personalized plate. I think it's uh, one of those six of one, half a dozen of another. I know a lot of car guys that hate them because it makes the tag stand out to the popo. Um, and then there's people like me that I've never owned a car without a personalized tag because uh, I like them. I, you know, a car's an extension of myself, and I let the license plate either tell a little bit about me or the car. It depends on it depends on the tag and the car that it's on, definitely. Because I, I had my first car was a 1969 Camaro. It was a stupid personalized tag, but my 16 year old self, I put my 69 on the plate, and I thought it was kind of cool. But it wasn't. I know it wasn't now, but back then, that's that was the extent of my creativeness at 16 years old. It was fine when it was on a 69 Camaro. It made perfect sense. 
when I took that tag off that car because it was coming off the road and getting a new drive line, and I put that tag on my Chevette, my girlfriend's mother did not find that plate appropriate when it was on the Chevette for reasons I will not go into. In Illinois, the story was you were not allowed to have a six and nine in consecutive order on your license plate. Wow. Unless your birth year was 69 or the model year was 60. Well, there you go. It was on my Camaro, but they let me take it off that and actually put it on my Chevette. So I did um, have on my um, convertible Isuzu for a period of time. I think it was my convertible. Maybe it was my Mazda. Uh, yeah, it was probably my Mazda B2000. Um, in Illinois, letters, then numbers on cars, numbers, then letters on trucks, unless you wanted to pay a fortune for your license plates. So I had 96 flip. Um, and you, okay. you can figure nice. out. Nice. Yeah. Now, that's, see, that's the creative level. I've only, that I've only ever had it on one car. And I, I've only ever had personalized plate on one car, and that was the uh, GTO, and it was 74 GOAT, 74 G-O-A-T. No, and I, I had the, um, on the same Mazda B2000, I do believe I, ha I had bumper stickers on the back of, you know, bleep happens or don't like, uh, don't like my driving, dial 1-800-EAT, and... My dad was okay with that, but when I got the plates approved for it, that was 1-4 APHK, um, he didn't let me get that tag, even though the state was going to let me get it. I think it would have been great. They probably would have pulled it when they really, really thought about it or somebody complained. Um, if you need to know what that really is, email us. or <laughs> I, need to write, I need to write that out. My brain's not processing it. I'm... On the same Camaro, I had I had D N T U W S H. And in my mind, that was "Don't You Wish," and I thought that was really cool on the on the car at the time. And the first time I drove it up to the parking lot that all of us hung out at, and basically hung out at, and then left and went and drag raced because that's what we did back then. Uh, one of my very good friends walks up to me and uh, Mike Hamilton, I love you. I, I hate you for doing this to me, but I love you. He literally looked at the plate and walked around and looked at me and said, why do you have denture wash on your license plate? And I, I just, it was devastating. Absolutely devastating. So don't you wish went to denture wash. And I, I kind of read it as "Don't you wash?" But <laughs> I, yeah, it could have been that too. But no one went there. Um, mm. That's painful. Well, we can get. Well, we should have the license plate episode. I just came across the like, <laughs> National License Plate Association of America. The license plate episode. Well, oh, I've got some good ones. I'll hold on to them. Well, again, I've had over fifty cars, and even in Alabama. And Alabama's the first state it's happened. I think I've only had one car that has carried the same license plate for more than one year in a row. Two, two cars. Because I had my Lotus license plate for multiple years. And that actually, that's it. That's the only one I think I've had multiple years. Otherwise, since I've started driving in 1988, 
Um, I've never had the same license plate two years in a row. I've never had the same license plate two cars in a row. And I've had multiple cars in the same year. So I've got a ton of personalized plates and they're hanging on a nice wall that Zara decorated one day. And then she found out I had even more license plates. So it's a it's a sickness. Yes, it is. And in Alabama, I'll defend it. If you get one of the this is kind of a plug. If you get one of the plates that supports a nonprofit like the Barber Museum or the Space and Rocket Center or any of those, they cost fifty dollars extra to get that license plate, but it includes free personalization. And $43 of that 50 does go to that charitable organization and can be written off on your taxes. Um, so I feel it's a good way to support. And um, having been an employee at Barber, I can't give you the numbers, but it's a very significant check they do get off of those license plates. And it you know, re- really helps those not, you know, some of those nonprofits. So I fully endorse in Alabama buying that tag whether or not you get it personalized or not but if you're they're going to give it to you for free i'm never one to pass up free right i've had one of this for years man well this is the first time i've lived in alabama i have not had a barber tag. actually i found a picture of me standing in front of the camaro and it does have that plate on it unfortunately it's so old that i can't blow it up without it getting to the point where you can't see it Bummer. God, I'm, I'm looking at 17 year old me, and I'm about to cry. So, um, well, 17 year old you does not look like you. How dare you? Yeah, you were way better looking back then. I was actually like a lot. I've got like one or two pictures of me beside my uh, blue blue over gray CRXSI and. I mean, this is solid late 80s, and I had the twin rally wipers on it, and they were red because the car had a red stripe on, on it in the gray. But in the photo, they look pink, and I'm standing there in my Don Johnson-type shirt with my mullet and everything, and yeah, they probably really were pink. But... There you go. <laughs> there you go, Derek. With that, I think I'm going to probably go to bed, guys. We'll get this out. Yep. Again, check I out. Done. Check out the new website. It's got links to our Patreon. It's got new subscription links on it. It's got bios on all four of us. Um, and it's got link. You know, every episode can be found there. Other than that, good night, everyone. Bye bye. Bye bye now. Hey, we forgot to talk about how cool Zambonis are. Are cool the car guys. They're VW powered, of course they're cool. Air cool. Oh god. It just got bad. <laughs> it just got really bad. Later. <laughs>